McNulty stunning for to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Pompey fans, and Boys Pit Forecast episode 163. Four games without a win. Is it time to get concerned about Pompey's lack of creativity? Join the podcast today is Andy Mitchmore. How are you, Andy? Hello, Bunce. Yeah, not too bad. Thank you, mate. Nice to be back after a couple of weeks of not being available for selection. Lovely to have the boys back together. Freddie, you held it together beautifully for the last couple of weeks. Uh, although I saw some tweet claiming you disrespected Charlton Athletic, which I enjoyed um, the, the concept of people being offended by just such a lovely man. I just don't know how anyone uh, could uh, be. Honestly, but... a lot of people disrespect Charlton Athletic every week, so I don't see how I've done anything <laughs> out of the ordinary. I love this hand of you just doubling down. Uh, I've made the cardinal error of speaking to someone who hadn't been introduced yet, so I'll, I'll flick it back to Hugh. No, that's what the podcast is all about. Those dulcet tones you were hearing a minute ago are, is the sound of Freddie Webb. How are you, Freddie? Hi, not so bad. Yeah, I, I wish we'd be talking about a better game because we all went to the Monday night game and we all know how that went. And it's nice to have both of you guys back on the pod. Hugh just returning from disappearing for a week and then Andy, you know, after he enjoyed striking cut tigers in Malaysia, I'm sure he had a lovely time. I mean, I, I'd actually forgotten about that completely, Fred, until you dropped that in there. Is this? <laughs> I just feel like you're fabricating, fabricating an entire story of my life. I'm okay with it because it sounds a hell of a lot more exciting than my actual life. But yeah, Malaysia was great, lads. Had a brilliant time. Went trekking. Yeah, as you say, Hugh met some tigers. Just, just the standards. They were sedated, were they? I know, I know that. Yeah, I know. Andy can't really talk about this. He had to deny all responsibility to do with the uh, the whoopsie do that happened in, in Malaysia in Kuala Lumpur. Andy, uh, we don't want the Malaysian government on your hands. So I completely agree. Andy never went to Malaysia. Everyone listening, it's just not true. It never happened. Mate, it was whey protein powder. I have no idea what the customs officials were on about. It's just outrageous. They didn't even test it properly. I could have told you that tiger coat was real, but there we go. Let's go for it from there. <laughs> Oh, and, and by the way, just want to point out, I was here two weeks ago. It's only one episode I missed, by the way, and that was because I've changed jobs and therefore they took all my IT equipment away. It's not like I'm going to pay for my own IT equipment, like laptop and stuff. So I've got to wait for excuses, work. Excuses, excuses, mate, honestly. All right, Beardy man, let's go. First of all, we're going to review the game against Charlton. Following on from that, we're going to talk about some season-ending injury news, unfortunately for Jaden Reed. And then we put a question out to you guys and we said, what the hell are we going to do to change it up against forward screen? And finally, we're going to preview the game on Saturday against forest green Rovers. Right, boys, let's go for it. Setting the scene, we all went down to Charlton away together. I turned up to the pub late because I was working. 
even though I was only 10 minutes away. So only managed to get one point in. Freddie did look like he had about 13 on the way up there on the train. Had you had 13 beers, Freddie? No, I only had two pints in the pub. That pub was very nice, actually, even though I can't remember the name of it. But yeah, old, King's, it old, old King's Head, that was, yeah. It was a nice pub. And, and, and five for a pint, it was not as horrendously overpriced as I thought it would be, even though five for a pint is still bad. But Freddie, you had plenty of time to have a drink. What time, uh, can you tell the listeners, what time did you leave Portsmouth and arrive in London? To go to a football game in Charlton, please. Well, please well I didn't have anything better to do, so I left Portsmouth at quarter to three in the afternoon. I was just in Gunwolf Keys, just swanning around for no reason beforehand. And I thought, you know what, I'll get an earlier train, and I did. Turned up at the pub, had a, had a few quiet pints, and then you lot turned up, which was decent. And then, due to train issues and uh, guards sh- uh, shutting a gate in my face after the game, I got home at one in the morning, which is Freddie, brilliant. I've got to jump in. I cannot describe my heartbreak as we were shepherded onto the platform, and I turned round and saw this massive metal gate just get closed in your face, and the look of heartbreak in your eyes. It was one of the most upsetting moments. It was like they were bullying a puppy. I was furious. I thought I was going to miss the train to get home. Oh, the, tra- the trains were a mess as well. I had to change at Woking to get home, which was stupid. Also, for people who don't know this, Freddie is the only person out of the group of eight of us who doesn't really know his way around London, which is added to the comedy element. Obviously, we do what all people do in this situation. You stick by your friends, don't you? So I messaged Freddie whilst we all got the train and told him where to go, just in case. He- um, no, that's <laughs> six, that six minutes past eight train. That got me home about, I say home, got me back to Peckham about, what, half an hour earlier than waiting an extra four minutes? So... Freddie, love you to bits, but we were going in opposite directions, my friends. But you would have had to get through the police to get to me, so I don't know. I saw you try, Freddie. Talking about dodgy prisons and jails, like my Malaysian experience or Thai experience, wherever it is you're claiming I went. Freddie, I saw you trying to get through the police officers. It was ballsy, especially hitting that horse. I mean, brave. I'll admit, no no horses were harmed on on my trek back home. I just stood behind the gate pissed off to be honest that's all I did I said you're shouting why that's all I heard really loud from behind this gate <laughs> why why I genuinely did say that and I was like I want to get home and they just they just ignored right. me didn't they alright boys I'm going to do the hosting thing now and focus us on the game so went into the game with high hopes Freddie predicted a 3-1 win on last week's podcast that's a you know good shout Freddie after your pretty decent run of predicting results that comes to a sharp end so we started the game out, and I'm just going to point out that Pompey fans travelled in their numbers. You know, there's about two and a half thousand of us, Charlton, to be honest. I think they upped the the actual amount of people that were there. I'm guessing season ticket holders, some of them didn't turn up, but they still count on the attendance figures, which is why it looks so empty compared to the apparently nearly 14,000 that were there. Starting off to the game, it wasn't the worst start, actually, was it? The ball was worked nicely down the right-hand side. Dale pops the ball back to Morel, who puts another cross in, a bit like the equaliser that Rico scored when he headed it in. It was that same sort of flat ball into the box. Cobby Bishop gets up and makes the keeper push it over the bar. Top start. I like that. Should we, just cut the, should we just cut the podcast there? That seems like an excellent, optimistic, enjoyed the game. One highlight. I think we should call it there, mate. Forest Green preview? Well... I mean, it does lead into that because that was one of our only two out of 16 successful crosses in the game. So Pompey had a, a successful a crossing success ratio of 13%. Uh, according to Safer Score, I pulled the stats from you get from Okta. So two out of 16, Freddie Webb, 13%. How good is that? Uh, horrendous. Um, usually, if a third of crosses are accurate, you're looking quite good. 
So 13% is, well, it is what it is, isn't it? It was dreadful. And it was not the only thing that sucked in that game. The performance sucked up and down defensively in the midfield. The tactical selection was wrong to start with. And yeah, the first half was probably the worst that I've seen Pompey this season, with no exaggeration whatsoever. You somehow, Fred, you somehow managed to make that sound really quite sexual. I'm not quite sure. What? (laughs) It sucked up and down the pitch. No. um, (laughs) What was the point again? Oh, yeah, the crossing thing. I just wanted to drop in there that, Fred, you actually have taught me something because as Hugh asked that question about a good percentage for successful crosses, I knew that because you've told me that six to eight weeks ago. So I do learn things from you, Freddie. Every every Wednesday evening is a school evening. But for reference against our opponents, Charlton had a, a, a cross success ratio of 35%, uh, 6 out of 17. So they obviously did all, all right in the game. But obviously we started okay on the way back, by the way. A lad said that we should have had a penalty. Said it was Stonewall from behind the goal. Freddie wasn't there, so just passed it on that. On that. Did you guys see that? Because we couldn't really see from our yeah, end. Yeah, it's an interesting one because I didn't think it was a penalty live from the other end of the pitch. And we put out an update uh, like an online update of like match updates and I was like ah oh, didn't look like a pen from here and then there were like 35 comments of people going are you blind it's an obvious penalty Stonewall who were obviously watching it on Sky with replays but yeah having watched it back and speaking to a Charlton fan on the train afterwards who was right next to it it sounds like it was an absolute Stonewall penalty we didn't get would it have changed the outcome of the game pretty questionable I think on this one but yeah, it sounds like it should have been a pen, even though my first instinct was no, it would have been soft. Yeah. So let's get into the goal, shall we? Freddie's a big fan of short corners, so I pointed it out that Charlton took a lovely short corner, knocked it to Scott Fraser, PO forecast favourite Scott Fraser. He never came to us. He's like that girl who got away. Then he puts a good ball into the box. Ryan Innes gets up, heads it home. Sean Ragger doesn't seem to jump, much to the absolute anger of our mate Rob, who's just shouting, why doesn't he jump? At it. It's 1-0. And at that stage, you just think that's a sloppy goal to give away from a set piece again. Pompey are looking pretty, pretty vulnerable from set pieces. And it went from bad to worse. Marlon Pack then gets booked in the 30th minute. And then the 31st minute happens and it's another goal. It's 2-0. Let's start on the first goal. Andy Mitchamore, what are your thoughts? It's a weird one because it looks like Raggett thinks he hears a call. There's no other reason he would leave that without a call from someone. So I have no idea what shouted or what he thinks he heard, but he just completely leaves it. And then, yeah, Morrison gets uh, outmuscled at the far post. I mean, I've seen a few people saying that Griffith should have come for it. I think that's a little, I think, yeah, it's a little bit harsh. I think there were players more at fault for that first goal than Griffiths. It doesn't go a million miles from him, but it's decent power on the header. And I think you've got to be looking at a combination of a clear communication for Sean Raggett and Morrison just getting out-muscled, basically, to, to be the main reasons we conceded that. It's very soft. Yeah, it was a frustrating one. It just it seemed like an unnecessary goal to concede, as in if you're doing everything as you've been taught on the training pitch, you don't concede that. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, slightly irritating. And as you say, it pushed our, our friend Rob slightly closer to a stroke. Yeah, he was nearly as loud as that drum was in the back of the front, on the back of, I'll say, the back of the front. Are we doing that now? Are we doing that now? Well, we mentioned it. it Genuinely, I felt like someone was on work experience and doing it at a wake. I've genuinely had more vibrant beats at funerals. 
honestly, whoever was doing that, please do not do it again. Or yeah. at least speed up your tempo by like 150%. That was dreadful. Okay, I'm yeah. done. It, it sort of sounded like if you had the podcast now and you put it on half speed and it was like, we're the poor Smurf boys. It was like that sort of speed, wasn't it? That's about as much singing as I'm going to do. Freddie's the singer on the podcast, though. So, Fred, do you want to give me some tunes? No, no, I think I'm too depressed by that drumming on Monday, to be honest. I wanted to throw it in a ditch. <laughs> All right, let's move on. So Marlon Pack manages to get himself booked for that first yellow. It's a bit of a silly challenge, to be honest. I mean, Andy's shouting, don't foul next to me. And then obviously he comes in and he uh, he does hey, it. That was, it's just so infuriating. It was so predictable. It was like, I'm not a football guru, but it was so predictable. Yeah, anyway, I'm going to shut up or I'm going to go off on a rant. I've got plenty more rants up my sleeve for this, for this week, so I'll shut up for a minute. So Pat gets booked. One minute later, Charlie Kirk breaks on a quick turnover. I think it was Josh Caroma who should have played the ball through straight away to Dane Scarlett, who made an absolutely great run through the channel. And all Caroma needed to do was release the ball early to Dane Scarlett. And he was in a bit of space for us to, you know, potentially get a good shot on target at least. And he dithers on the ball, he holds on to it. And it comes back the other way. Charlie Kirk does exactly what Josh Caroma should have done. And he plays a beautifully weighted ball through to um, Corey Blackett-Taylor and he just blasts it underneath um, Griffiths' legs. 2-0. And at that stage, we're looking around us going, it can't get any worse, can it? I think 2-0 yeah, down was... before half-time. 2-0 down before half-time, you're always thinking, it could get a little bit worse. But it was a frustrating goal to concede because as you say, Coroma's decision-making obviously wasn't optimal. Again, live, this just shows, you know, how much you pick up on live. Like I thought the first penalty shout wasn't a penalty, but live, I was like, oh, that's got to be offside. Having watched it back, it's onside by about six yards. He's not even close to offside, but live, I was like, was it off? Must've been off. Why isn't the line giving it? But again, Griffiths took a bit of flack for that from some quarters. I think it's harsh. I think. I don't see why. It's a one-on-one. Yeah, exactly. And he closed that, I know it's at the near post, but he closed off the near post. So the only way for... Blackett to score there on his right foot. It's the side foot into the far corner, but the defender was there. So the only place really for him to score is just to side foot it under the keeper, which he did. Yeah. I think it's... I, 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 if Karoma didn't play that horrendous ball in midfield, that goal wouldn't have happened in the first place. That's yeah. the that's the big error for me there. Um, a lot of people were shouting at Ogilvy for not covering enough. He wasn't in position because of the well, fast in the first place, in my humble opinion. But Yeah, the thing is, Ogilvy, when we're in possession, he's there trying to overlap on the right-hand side so he's further forward than the two centre-backs. And, I mean, him not overlapping on the right was an issue I had in the first half. I mean, we'll talk about the half-time changes in a minute. But he was obviously ahead of where the centre-backs were, ready for the overlap, because the ball was being played out to Owen Dale on the right, I think, was the ball that Caroma attempted. And then the natural progression from that would be Ogilvy overlaps on the right past Dale, gives Dale an option down the wing on the right. Unfortunately, because the ball's intercepted, Ogilvy's the wrong side of his man, and he's never catching him there. He's never, ever catching him. So it was just, yeah, it all comes down to that individual mistake from from the decision-making of Karoma, unfortunately, yeah, on yeah. that second and, goal. Another thing on Blackett-Taylor, he was probably my man of the match for the whole game, I think. His dribbling caused Pompey problems pretty much throughout the entire game. And yeah, I've got his stats somewhere, but no, always a threat down that right-hand side. Our full-backs in defence didn't know how to deal with him. He cut into the penalty area an awful lot. He's got a lot of chances. I think he had 
so 11 progressive runs in that game, which is essentially dribbling over a third of the pitch, which is mental. I think his average beforehand was about half that. <laughs> so it just shows how much space he had on that side. But no, dreadful first half. Many reasons for it. Not just not dealing with Charlton's midfield, which is very good. But I think a big thing for me was that I don't want to see that back four in that setup ever again. The, the flattest back four I've ever seen. I don't particularly want to see Ogilvy on his wrong side. I don't want to see Robertson at left back again. The switching of play between one side to the other was so slow that Charlton were just able to press on top of us and we couldn't actually get the ball out at all, which forced Griffiths to go long. And then it's a 50-50 header between Bishop or Scarlett and the other centre-half. And it just ground Pompey's attacking rate to a halt. I've uh, just seen, reading really my notes, back at Taylor's dribbling 56% which is very good. So, yeah, lots of problems. Lots of, too many problems to even go over, really. When you've got a really flat back four like that, and that was my little comment, that the flattest of flat back fours in that game, you basically had then two players who sort of like to play in front of them and instead of midfield, and we'll get on to the fact that Pack and Morel are two players who are very similar, really, in the way that they try and play the game. And both of them are kind of sitting in. So you've got a situation where you've got three or arguably four centre-backs playing at the back, and then two sort of holding midfielders playing in front of them almost, sort of deep-lying midfielders anyway. And it just leads to a situation where you can't get the ball forward. There's no support. The wide triangles, which we saw doing really well at the start of the season, that passing through the thirds and getting it up, it's just completely non-existent. Tom Lowry's a massive miss in the moment in the centre of midfield. Someone who picks the ball up, drives it forward, brings other players into play and links it up. It looks right shambles. And and Charlton really didn't have to do that much to be able to dominate us in the centre of midfield. What I think is quite interesting is it's such a state because we had loads of room in behind the fullbacks and in behind the defence, but they didn't really go forward very much at all, did they? They didn't really provide any overlap on either side, either fullback. So it's a bit of an odd combination of too much space in behind too slow you know the defenders are all too slow to be playing together so people like Blackett Taylor have an absolute field day but with no attacking impetus yeah I thought that was something that was addressed with the changes at half time uh, I think as much as I, I would say that the first half is on Danny Cowley's selection being yeah inappropriate for that game I think you have to give credit where it's due and the changes did kind of I'm not going to use the word fix because it didn't fix everything, but they they improved that element of it in terms of the overlap. I thought Ogilvy really struggled to get forward on the right. And I think that is a theme we've seen before. As soon as you popped him back onto the left-hand side and brought on Swanson on the, on the right, I know it's a little bit different second half when you're two or three goals down and chasing the game. I know it's not a direct comparison to the first 20, 25 minutes, but Swanson and Ogilvy on the right and left respectively got forward and overlapped on the wing way more. So yeah, credit to Danny Cowley for identifying that and making the change at half time, but it should have been what we started with. Absolutely. And now let's just go quickly to our half time talk because despite all the misery in the back of the stands, we decided to take two minutes out whilst I was having a vape and Andy and Joff joined me in the back of the stand. And here's our thoughts of the first half. All right, it's uh, oh, shit. <laughs> Charlton, <laughs> Charlton 2, Pompey Nell, standing behind the stand here with Andy Mitchell and Joff. Boys, Andy first, how do you summarise so far the first half? Come on, 
That's been a wonderful 45 minutes of football, hasn't it? We've had a lovely time. That's pretty, pretty poor, pretty dire, hey? Uh, I was just talking to Proudy, and it's the first few games of the season, there was sort of an arrogance there, like a confidence. Like, there was a, there was a confidence they were going to embarrass whoever was in front of them almost, and there was sort of an arrogance on the ball. And it just looks like the opposite so far, first 45. They look scared to really scared to really express themselves on the game and when they have tried to express themselves on the game individually it hasn't quite worked or Dale is still attempting to do Dale things which is what I want to see it hasn't quite come off Karoma's not had the best first 45 I think was it Karoma's ball that gave it away for the second goal well yeah he should have laid it through to Scarlett and that Divering basically went Um, back the other way yeah I mean yeah, I need to watch the goals back really because I can't actually see the goal line from where we're at so as far as I'm concerned we haven't actually conceded any which is great um, but yeah pretty dire hey nice and positive Joff do you see any way back in this we were saying in the stand a flat back four has to be the flattest of back fours with no width for the full backs is that the main issue or is something else wrong we're just not playing the ball quickly enough um, we get the ball we take one touch too many and the opportunity to play quick balls through the lines it's just gone and unless we play with you know more urgency more intent we're not going to you know we're not going to break through that 4-4-2 they've got going on um, yeah it just hasn't been great has it what are you thinking here? It's been, it's been pretty shocking well I mean it's got to change it second half mm. I think we've looked so bad like it's probably the worst we've seen this all season by far to be honest this half of football It'd be nice to see a bit of width come on to the fullbacks, change it up a little bit. I don't know, mate. It's just got to, we've got to get the ball and pass it further forward quicker, effectively. Yeah. I think, like, I feel like we're wasting Ogilvy a little bit. I know he's done a half decent job at right back and he's there through necessity, but when he's in the left back position, the overlaps he provides are such a big, such a big tool for Pompey and exploiting whoever we're up against. They're on the right. I just don't feel like we're seeing those overlaps to the same extent. Whether it's a confidence thing about overlapping on his right foot, I have no idea what the, the issue is, but we're not seeing those overlaps. We're seeing individual errors, which, you know, they happen, and I'm not, not going to pile on individual players because uh, we've got a second half to watch. Um, but, I mean, that booing was pretty loud for half-time, to be honest. Like, not from any of us, I hasten to add, but there was a lot of booing around us. It was all, what, 50-50 between booing and people telling the people booing to shut up? Must be about that. I'd say more booze than, than more not. Booze than more booze than not, for, for sure. All right, do you know what? We'll leave it there and hopefully back after half time for a better result. But oh. fucking sort it out, Pompey. Come on, come on the 4 2 win scenes <laughs> in about an hour's time. <laughs> Never in doubt. I've got money on 3 2, it's good. Easy. He's playing it now. Let's see if Joff's right. All right, back on the podcast after those thoughts. I can't remember what he said, boys, because I've sort of oh. wiped that from my memory. All I remember is Joff thinking that his 3-2 Pompey bet was going to come in. He had Charlton to be ahead at half-time, Pompey at full-time. So I remember his little bit of confidence, which was not at all misplaced. That's right. It meant he had to skimp on his McDonald's. He didn't get that money coming in. So no drink and no chips. But, you know, that's just part of the Monday at Charlton away. But, OK, let's get into the second half. So Morrison and Coroma off. I thought Coroma had quite a poor game as well. I already touched on that. And Morrison looked very shaky in this game as well. Swanson on and Jacobs on. Jacobs for a nice little cameo there. He looked pretty decent, to be honest, in the short spell he was on the pitch. Just touch on the fact it's quite sad. It looks like he's pulled his hamstring. I think is that's that's been said, looked like that at, at the ground anyway. Yeah, that yeah. was that was mentioned post-match, and it's probably the reason why Jacobs hasn't started. Just a, just an assumption. It's probably the reason why he hasn't started all those games. Just assuming I think if he would have been fit, considering the form of other players, he might have 
seen a bit more of the pitch before that. But no, like I said, look positive. But it's it's a shame that you really you're questioning how much that that's worth if he's having two or three weeks on the sidelines, seemingly a lot of the time. It's it's frustrating, really. Hell of a fifteen minutes, though, wasn't it? Hell of a fifteen minutes. Yeah, he <laughs> looked feel, decent. I feel so bad for him. I feel awful for him. It's so frustrating. Every time he gets his chance, I think he looks really good. And then he pulls up. It's so frustrating. He must be infuriated by it because he's a really good player at this level if he could stay fit. And yeah, there does come a time when you have to balance the minutes you're going to get out of him versus the books. And yeah, I've wanted us to keep him throughout with even with his injury record. And it's oh, I feel so bad for him. Well, I'm going to I'm going to speed this up now. I spent quite a lot of time on the Charlton game. Let's touch on Jay Mingy quickly. Came on to the came on alongside Rico. Looked very good. He was he actually put a bit of excitement back into the away support because his ability to turn on the ball and just drive forward with pace absolutely ripped apart Charlton, who could do nothing really apart from try and hack him down. You have to think that if he started a game. That you know they couldn't do that. They couldn't sustain that level of fouling against him because they would they would have a player sent off. Fred, what's your feeling on how Jay Mingy had an impact and hopefully how he can do later on? I thought he had an excellent game. Um, all things considering, yes, you're looking at it and Pompey was already two 0 down. So, but the emphasis was on Pompey to chase the game, and he was probably the main substitution who added to that aside from Jacobs. Drive play, was able to turn quickly on the ball, which is really good. So he was always facing the opposition. And yeah, positive passes. It's obvious that his touch is very good. He always looks up, finds the right passes forward. And dare I say it, is he a better partner in midfield for Pack or for Morel? Because to be honest, I don't think the Pack and Morel pairing works. Do you? Because I know right. that Pack had to drop deep a lot in this game because of how slow the back four was which created a gap between the two. But I don't think either of them came out of that game with any glory for different reasons. Morel had that good cross in the first half of Bishop, but I can't remember what else he did. And then obviously Pack with the two stupid challenges. They don't seem to gel together. I know that, I know that, I know it's a, it, on paper, it's a balanced midfield, but I think either a Lowry or a Thompson or a Mingi Next to either Pack or Morel, that seems to work better. I don't know what your you guys' opinions are on that. We're gonna we're gonna park that thought, Fred, because we're gonna come on to it in the listener question bit, because quite a few people have got got a thought on that. So Andy, I just wanna can you want to talk us through the last goal and then I'm gonna move us on. Do I have to? Uh yeah, so we said about can we really you know, does it get any worse? Can it get any worse? Uh could, yeah. Uh, firstly, really good save beforehand from Griffith, that strong right hand over the bar. That was genuinely an excellent save. Um, I was so busy being irritated by the red card, I actually looked down uh, at the free kick. Uh, so I didn't see it live. Um, I just continued my rage without looking up. Yeah, Ewan O'Connell was literally just on his own in the six-yard yeah, box. that's inexcusable. That's the most basic training ground. He's literally unmarked far post. I know we just had a man sent off, but if anything, you're extra switched on from the set piece after you've just had a man sent off because you know you're at a disadvantage. That's when you should be at almost your most vigilant. And 
it's just a free header, far post. I don't think we can argue with either yellow card for Pack. I think they were both yellows. I think it's a fair red. And yeah, they just switched off from the free kick. And then, yes, well, not if it wasn't game over before that point, it was after the third goal. And you touched on it earlier, Hugh, uh, about not really pushing Charlton. But I've come out of the game. I don't really know how good Charlton are because I don't really feel like they got out of third gear because they didn't really need to, which is, I, I don't know, it's a concern. I feel like they had a lot more in the locker if they'd needed it, or maybe they don't. Maybe that was them at max. But I've come away just not knowing if they're any good or not because Pompey didn't push them to be any good, which is frustrating, to put it mildly. They just seem like a solid attack, a counter-attacking side, don't they? Because their midfield was pretty much rock solid, controlled the game when they had to, and then they broke with play- with pace with players like Kirk, Blackett-Taylor, who we mentioned, uh, Jezza and Raksaki on loan from Crystal Palace. Both of them terrorised our defence a lot. And uh, Stockley was the handful that sort of took defenders away from them. It was... It was quite obvious what their game plan was and it worked quite well, but I don't take away Charlton's good performance. I just take away the fact that Pompey were just completely dreadful in this game. Yeah. Booze at, booze at full time. Uh, I know Andy said about the awful defending in on the third goal and um, it's quite interesting. I had the interview post-game with Andrew Moon with uh, Clark Robertson who took ownership for that as well and put his hands up saying that, you know, he was at fault for that, which is fairly interesting. He said the performance wasn't good enough. He apologised to the fans, said we travelled in numbers. All these things that there was apparently going to be choice words in in the dressing room afterwards, all this sort of stuff. And he's given me a grimace. Hey, it doesn't mean anything. It means nothing. That means nothing to me. I don't care. Like, it doesn't... It doesn't mean anything. It's as simple as that. It's football cliches, isn't it? It's, you know, the, the door was locked and there was some stern words shared. You know, we put our hands up and take ownership. And yeah, it's just words. It doesn't mean anything. It's a stock media interview, let's be honest. I mean, yeah, good on him for not just denying all responsibility, which would be a massive concern, but it's just a stock media interview. I thought it was quite interesting just to hear the tone of his voice and how he spoke about it because it was just quite obvious how poor they were. They looked like they played a game or being out on a session. You know, they looked like they'd been out on a big odds away day session and turned not to play the game. It just wasn't good enough. Not not first 20 balls, lost every jewel around the pitch. Um, and it was quite frankly embarrassing. It showed up in some of the analytics as well, especially the pressing stats where Charlton's press, according to PPDA, was 7.42. Pompey's was 10.52, which is way above what their average is. And it just showed that basically there was no press. And that was probably largely down to the way that the back four was set up in the first half. And Pompey also probably showed that they pressed more when down to 10 men. So it wasn't as if it was like Pompey being in possession that skewed the number. They were just completely outmatched for the first 60 minutes or so, which is a concern. Um, I thought of one way that we could make ourselves feel better we haven't played guess the xg in weeks so i think we should play it now guess the xg. i'm, I'm going to give you guys a simple one what was pompey's expected goals in this game in the three nil go on andy it is your turn this time can you get a negative xg um, you, you can't, unfortunately. Uh, I, I was mostly tongue in cheek. I, I'm trying to think of the chances we had. 
Marlon Pack free kick side net in. Header, the Charlton keeper in the first half, did a sky camera save for his Facebook cover photo. What are the chances do we really have? There was uh, one free kick that was saved and Jacobs had a crack. None of them are clear-cut chances. I don't remember the Charlton keeper doing anything good. So I would say our XG for the game, definitely zero points up then. 100% zero points up then. Zero point four seven i think we were toothless i'm going to go with 0.65 i've got a feeling it's slightly higher than what andy said when you say a feeling is that because you researched it or is that just how you have you seen the game well i'm trying to speed it up so i wasn't going to go through my total analogy of it but i've got a feeling the colby bishop header um we had on target and just i just think it's about 0.65 i'm going to guess Hugh has won it. Uh, the actual XG for Pompey was 0.62. Um, from memory, the majority of it was the Bishop header. That was Very close, the best, mate. Nice that was the best chance of the entire game. And the rest of it was just accumulated. So yeah, uh, overall standings from memory, it's free all now on Guess the XG. He's brought it back level. That's no, 4-2. Four, 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 was it 4-2? 4-2 to Hugh, yeah. I thought, I thought it was more interesting. 4-2 to Hugh then. I need to actually write this down. Well, I'll take I'll take the win. Freddie trying to absolutely rob me out of my uh, my fifty percent lead. Can we just pause and appreciate my honesty as well? I I blame you guys because you haven't been on the pod for ages, so I've forgotten what the I guess the XG was. Fair enough. All right, let's move it on. And after all that beautiful analysis from us, which takes a lot longer than usually we spend on a game, because well, we needed to vent it out. Here's the full time thoughts of Annie Mitchmore, Freddie Webb. And Joff Taylor. And Proudy. And Proudy. Also known as Chris. Okay, full time and the game ends 3-0 to Charlton. What an enjoyable 90 minutes. Uh, I'm going to start with Joff, actually, wherever he's gone, left shoulder. Uh, because 3-2 comeback at halftime was the prediction. Um, where would you like to begin with, uh, with how that unfolded? Yeah, that didn't go to plan, did it? Um, County made some promising changes at half-time. We looked good for a bit, and then everything just unravelled. Um, Jacobs was good for the 15 minutes or so he was on, but, yeah, after the sending off, it just... Yeah, the game was just dead, wasn't it? It was pretty horrendous viewing, to be honest. Yeah, just petered out, really. Um, yeah, I think if we're looking for positives, what we got? Mingy... Jacobs when he had fully working hamstrings. Uh, Swanson looked all right, yeah. Um, I'll jump to Proudy, who we didn't hear from at half-time, but Proudy, thoughts on the 90 minutes that your first Pompey game for a while? How did that, How did you enjoy that experience? Well, my first Pompey game for a while, probably my only Pompey game for a while, and what a game to come to. Um, yeah, we were just awful, predictable. We were just too, like... Uh, fullbacks at the start didn't overlap and, he was just like, and then when they came on like oh sorry when we made substitutes they started overlapping we looked a lot better uh, hold on uh, and we looked a lot better and but yeah we're just it was just awful like just all rounds like even our attack was just nullified <laughs> didn't do anything so yeah pretty damning and then to the world's favourite bearded honey monster Freddie Webb thoughts uh, pretty dreadful um, at both areas of the pitch. Uh, the switches of play were very slow. The back four 
couldn't get the ball out. The wingers were incredibly narrow, so all the play was forced down the middle. And there were no options in the midfield. I think Morel had a desperately poor game. Uh, you could add five or six other players on top of that, and yeah, worst game, w w worst game of the season by a mile. There you have it. Pretty damning um, indictment of uh, what we've just watched there. Yeah, I uh, won't even add anything to that. So, from Charlton, have a lovely evening, everyone. Bye bye. Bit of sad news as well. We, we spoke about Michael Jacobs as well, doing his hamstring. Jaden Reed now out for the season. He's done his ACL. Really sad news. The man cannot catch a break, can he? He's just, When he's actually, you know, played, he's got pace. He looks like he could be an asset to us on the break. But unfortunately, he's now going to be out for the rest of the season. And is his contract up at the end of this year? Yeah, this yeah, because Pompey took an option on his contract in the summer, I believe. Um, yeah, Jaden Reed. It was it's an ACL on the other knee as well, which makes it even worse. Apparently, it just was a freak thing, according to his uh, Instagram statement. Not that I was to say, pretty very, very gutting. It's a shame that whenever he gets close to even being contention again, it is it, it just gets cut short, which is an incredible shame. Um, he mentioned that last time the club were, were around him and gave him the appropriate support. So I hope that continues. And uh, yeah, I just hope it doesn't end his career prematurely. Yeah. Thoughts come out from the PO forecast boys to you, mate, Jaden. Let's hope you recover and, you know, get back into football because this is the kind of thing that could be, uh, you know, potentially a career, a career ending, could you say? Or is, you know, so you, have, you have to look at other examples of positivity, like Jack Watmore's had, you know, repeated knee injuries, including ACL and, is now starting championship first choice centre back, so he's sort of come through those repeated injuries. The fact it's the other knee is a it's definitely a worry. I'm assuming that his gait will have, so his running or walking pattern would have changed because of the first injury, and maybe the angle of his knee rotation has has changed because of it, and it's it's done damage because it's in an unnatural position. I'd assume, but yeah, I mean, if you keep getting these, then it's, it's when you see players retiring at 26, 27, which is it's such a waste of a, a decent talent. So yeah, hopefully, yeah, hopefully the rehab goes well when we see him this time start next season. All right. I'm going to move us on to the news section so we can get to all the comments people have when they messaged in. So let's get to the listener question bit of the show, because this is the best bit of the show. We really appreciate all the comments and the replies we've got to the question. It really does make the show. So thank you so much for everybody messaged in. We put a question out to you guys and we said, Pompey are currently four games without a win in the league. What changes does Danny Cowley need to make to the lineup versus Forest Green Rovers to break the winless streak? Finley messaged in and said, Simply put, Pack and Morell seem to have a similar play style which leaves us sitting too deep and not driving play forward. Having an out position fullbacks also means they aren't getting forward enough or being effective when they do. Like many others, Mingy and Swanson in. Well, with Pack actually being suspended does give that opportunity now, doesn't it, for, for Jay Mingy to come in and, and make a real difference from the from the start. So I am looking forward to Jay Mingy starting in the next game. Fingers crossed. I can't see why he won't at all. Swanson, you know, I'm a big fan. I thought you know, I liked him before he came in from Arsenal. One of the players on my list to get on the PO forecast transfer special. 
Some people want to play Freeman, Freeman, Swanson. Do you have a feeling on that, Freddie? Uh, I guess. I think just Cowley will probably prefer Swanson. I mean, he, he Swanson is the long-term player with the club, isn't he? Cowley was trying to push Freeman out the door in the summer. So you just think, oh, since he was given the opportunity to have a half against Charlton, you might think that he'd be given the opportunity against Forest Green, a team that aren't overly physical, a team that's struggling. It seems like the, a reasonable game to start him in, in my opinion. I mean, if you don't start him in this game, then when do you? Especially since Rafferty is... If Rafferty's fit, he plays, obviously. That goes without saying. But if he's not fit, why would you rush him back for this game when he's not fully fit? You may as well start Swanson. I don't see... Uh, yeah, I don't see any uh, argument with that. And same with uh, Joe Mingi. Um, especially with all the injuries in centre of field, are you going to start Ryan Tunnicliffe ahead of him? No. I mean, the only minutes of Tunnicliffe got recently was in the Hampshire Cup and then um, in the Ipswich game or the Plymouth game, he came on. I can't remember which one it was. but He yeah, came on in a recent game from the sub yeah. after like a long period out in the cold and he looked as if he was a player who hadn't played for ages, so he wasn't sharp. And Mingi's, sure had a, Mingi's had a fair number of sub appearances in that time so Mingi's the sharper midfielder and like he said we want the a player to drive forward in the midfield why not put him against Morel or put him with Morel in a pair I could see that working Lewis Pete messaged in and he said I'd be interested to hear you guys discuss Scarlett versus Piggott not meaning to criticise Scarlett really as so much of his game is great he's young but should we be, sc- be scoring more goals I've liked what I've seen of Piggott dropping in to create sort of a 9 slash 10 is it time to start experimenting with Joe Piggott up front rather than Dane Scarlett, Andy? I think there's certainly an argument for it. Again, I'm not here. I'm not going to criticise Dane Scarlett in the slightest. I think he's been outstanding since joining uh, joining the club. When I've seen Piggott play alongside Colby Bishop, it has seemed like it's enabled Bishop to get further forward, which kind of plays to his attacking strengths, whereas I feel... Bishop tends to be a little bit deeper when Scarlett plays. And to be fair, both of them were, no, neither of them really took the game by the bull of the horns on Monday night, did they? If we're being completely honest, I'd have no issue with Piggott coming in. You know, you've got multiple options for a reason, for rotations. And after no league wins in four, I don't see anything wrong with having that bit of rotation. Again, nothing against Dane Scarlett, but rotation is going to be needed to get everyone through the season fit or as fit as possible anyway. So there's no issue with it from that angle. So yeah, I'd quite like to see Piggott come in and at least have a chance to show what he can do. Um, I think that potentially need that that's more likely. I think if we're playing the four, four, two formation and sticking with it, it sounds like when Piggott comes in and plays up top, you know, and gets isolated, he really, really struggles, which is why he didn't fire at Ipswich is because he was very isolated in that role. So if we, I know we're going to talk about formations, but if we do change formation to have more of a one out and out striker, it's very unlikely that we see Piggott come in. As far as I'm concerned, if we maintain a four four two, you know, it's, it's a bit more likely. But it, yeah, it was interesting that he wasn't sort of first sub of choice on Monday night when um, essentially just anything different would have been beneficial or, or prefer, uh, preferable to what we were watching at the time. Yeah, I'm not against Piggott, Piggott getting some game time either. But Fred, do you feel that potentially it could even be a bit more of a like for like or changing it up and playing Piggott in for 
Colby Bishop rather than Dane Scarlett? Would you, I mean, do you think that's a more likely scenario playing up front together? Or do you feel that Colby's needed really is try and link the play up there? I think Colby's like the, the striker who could, I think, do a bit of both. I think that's why he can fit in a pair with both of them. I don't really remember seeing a lot of Piggott and Scarlett together, which might work. Um, but I think the counter-arguments are changing the front too, is the fact that in the last two games, there wasn't really any service to them. Like we said, Bishop, Bishop's best chance was that header in the first five minutes. And in the Fleetwood game, there wasn't really any clear ch- chances at all, I'd argue. So you could keep it the same in that regard. But no, I, I wouldn't blame Cowley for changing the striker, putting Piggott on probably for Scarlett, I think, if he had to choose. But I just I don't see him doing it for this game, I don't think. I think he would cha- make changes in the other areas of the pitch, namely in fullback and centre midfield. And probably on the left wing as well, because to be honest, as soon as Karoma made that mistake in the Charlton game, he disappeared, and that's why he was subbed in the, uh, at half time. So I think Curtis will probably be played on the left wing for the next game. I think. Yeah, we're talking about early in, in, earlier in the season how it was a complete turnaround from last season that we were scoring a lot of goals from crosses, and Colby Bishop was really feeding off those goals we we're getting from crosses. When you only make two successful crosses in a game, one of them he gets on target and makes the keeper palm it over the bar. He's not going to be scoring that many goals. So I'm with you there, Freddie. I think we need to get the ball into the strikers rather than looking at the strikers as the issue. I think there's certainly a good argument, again, for keeping Scarlett and Bishop up top against Forest Green. Defensively, they're pretty poor. They've conceded most goals in the entire division uh, in their 14 games so far. So they're a team that do concede. And we know from watching particularly Dane Scarlett that he can create a goal out of nothing if he gets the right service on the edge of the box, one touch and bang, bottom corner. And you do feel like, hopefully, Forrest Green are one of the sides that he could really, you know, hit his straps again. George Slatcher measures in and he says, 4-4-2 is finished. Any narrow formation played against us and we're just going to get outnumbered in the centre. We need to convert to a back three and play wing backs. We've got the players to do it Top two, play three at the back, and they're destroying teams. Time for us to do the same. I think it means the top two in the league are destroying teams, playing three at the back. It's interesting, isn't it? Because some people are absolutely adamant they don't want to see us go to a back three. And some people are really adamant we should change to it. I'm not against the idea of playing a back three, in theory. However, we don't really have, without Rafferty, we could play Swanson, I suppose, and Ogilvy. How how are we going to look with those two being being wing-backs as such? And are they good enough to be worthwhile, I suppose, dropping an attacking player in order to, in order to do that? Essentially, are they good enough to fulfil their attacking and defensive responsibilities? And that's the main question. And also, yeah. changing it to a back three, you're also taking away other parts. You're dropping our wingers who largely have been decent this season if you want to play the two up top. Or you take away the two up top entirely and play like a 4-3-4-3 four, three, four, three with effectively two wingers behind one striker. I think you're taking away the balance there as well. Who would you play at wingback? Would you play Connor Ogilvy and have less attacking formation? Would you actually trust Denver Hume to play on a football pitch? Because I think at wing back that's his best position. Um, if you are going to play him, that's that's where Cowley's played him mostly. Then you're also taking away one of the defenders at right wing back. Would you trust Swanson? 
Those are two young players you're trusting with probably the most important role in those formations as well. And if you are going to change it, let's say we go for a 3-4-1-2. Let's say you want to keep the two up top with, let's just say, Bishop and Scarlett as an example. We've got too many injuries in the centre of the field. So who would you play behind the striker? Which, oh, wingers, which, which wingers would you take off? I'd play Dale at 10. I think you'd have. I think if you had to do that formation, I think I'd like to see Owen Dale play behind the two. He's done so well out wide. He's done really well out wide. I'm not saying we should do that. I think the question was, who would you play ten? I think it. I think it highlights all the, all the things that that Danny Carlo would have to think about if he is to change the formation. Yeah, I think you are taking away an awful lot. I think uh, it's difficult at the moment to argue with the formation considering it's been so good up until this point and it is hard to defend a formation where and a tactical setup where we've played against some of the better teams in the league and fallen short arguably and we're two points and 12 and in the last two games we didn't really create any chances largely down to the midfield but currently with the injuries that Pompey have I think there's a I think there's a personal issue if you change the formation and I think the problems against Charlton were largely down to individual errors and tactical setup of the back four. Not the fact that they played a back four, but the players they used to be a part of the back four, in my opinion. See, Fred, I, I agree with some of what you just said. I certainly agree with the fact that going through at the back unbalances the team. I think that's absolutely accurate for me. I don't believe it's the formation that was necessarily the issue. The other night, I think it was all the clientele and the fact that Pack and Morel didn't play well together. I think if you have our lineup that started the second half, so with Ogilvy on the left, ideally Rafferty on the right, but Swanson is a second option, and then you have suddenly Lowry back from injury, I think it's a different ball game, metaphorically, with the 4-4-2 formation, and I think it works a lot better. Than, uh, than what we saw the other night. Yeah, I think three at the back, you're you're unbalancing everything as far as I'm concerned. And, and what you said about the wingers is, is spot on as far as I'm concerned. You're potentially dropping the players that have been in form to accommodate a formation that you're changing to make up from the mistakes from the players that haven't been in form, who then generally stay in the 11 because of the nature of the formation. So I, I don't particularly buy into it myself. Whatever you decide, I don't think the statement any formation is dead, it's gone, is is true. I think that's massive oversimplification for the next, what, 32 games or whatever we've got left. No more than that, isn't it? Because we've got games in hand, like 34 games or whatever it is. Um, yeah, I think it's going to, realistically, we'll probably see both formations before the end of the season, but I'd expect we'd be largely leaning towards 4-4-2 because... Sample size of 12 games, it's done well more often than it hasn't. Granted, the last few games haven't been quite as uh, quite as good to watch. But yeah, for me, that's personnel as much as the formation. Hopefully, we'll have first choice options back soon. Howley's Cows messaged in and says, Feel the imbalance left from the loss of La- Lowry and Rafferty added to the increasing number of lads whose performances have been on the slide in an unchanged 11 in recent weeks. Culminated from Monday showing... Excluding Jacobs, all subs gave performances that could all subs gave performances that could now justify a start. I think that's that's fair enough, isn't it? 
So let's look at the team from that from that perspective, okay? Mingy comes on. I think he comes in into the centre midfield, yeah? Swanson comes on. I think he slots in at right back if Rafferty isn't fit. Brennan Curtis comes on. Do you think he starts over Josh Caroma? 100% yes. Yeah. I, gen- okay. I genuinely think Caroma's performance was that bad. And the fact that he was hooked at half-time, I do think you give him the option. Even though Curtis's performance wasn't out of this world, his performance wasn't brilliant. But that that trend of seeing him make that mistake and then disappearing, I'm worried about that. Again, small sample size. but And he played well in the other games. But to be honest, I think considering Cowley's post-match and saying how unacceptable it was, I just assume that a change is going to be made there and of areas of the pitch as well. So Ogovic left back, and then do we think that's going to be it? Is that is that the changes that we keep? And then so Mingy in the middle with Joe Morrell, and then on the right we still keep Dale. On the left we have Curtis, Ogilvy, we mentioned that already, and the two at, up top stay the same. Do we reckon that's what it's going to be? I keep with Karoma. I disagree with Freddie. I think if you instill a sort of a vibe around the club or a feel around the club of, okay, I've put together a few good games and I've scored, what is it like? I don't know his exact goal scoring record. It was like three and five or something or three and six, four and six, something like that. Then have one bad game, one and a half bad games, you're out. I think that instills the wrong culture. And I think that Karoma has looked better or he's looked very, very good at Fratton Park, potentially more so than away games. And as a result, I'd keep him. Although I haven't said that, Forest Green is away. So I've just kind of contradicted my own point there, but I like doing that. Um, I'd keep him in personally. I don't don't see Hackett coming into the side at right wing either, do you? I don't think his performance was that brilliant when he came on either. No, I think Dale was a little bit left out to dry. When you look at the heat map on the right-hand side, you see him drifting into the middle and that's because he's getting absolutely no support from from the right wing back originally, especially in the first half when he played the majority of that game. So keep Dale out wide, get him some support, get Swanson to overlap around him. And then I think with a bit of pace, um, you know, Dale's going to cement that place and he has been one of our better players all season, let's be honest. Callum Penny messaged in and says, 100% Mingy has to start. Made a good impression of himself in the Charlton game. And... I'd like to see Swanson start a right back and drop Ogilvy back to left back. Well, Callum, I think you're right on point with what we're saying already. There's one, there's one other thing we didn't discuss. If we want to play Ogilvy at left back, would you drop Robertson out of the team or would you play him at centre half instead of Morrison or Raggett? Or would Robertson, you keep the Robertson, Robertson at centre half, Morrison out, is my opinion. I, I just think Morrison's looked very sluggish in the last few games he's played. Um, and if I had to pick two to play together, I'm actually going to put Robbo in the middle there with Raggett. I, I actually think so too. I don't think Raggett's had a brilliant few games either, to be honest. But I think which one to which one to pick? I thought Mar- Morrison definitely looked the most unstable out of those two. And I think whenever Robertson's played at centre half, he's looked assured. He's more comfortable on the ball, which helps. And I think not being able, being dragged out of position out wide will help him I think so I think that's another change that I personally would make I'm not sure what you think Andy if you'd keep the centre-half pairing the same or if you'd change it I mean it's difficult isn't it ideally you want to be consistent with your centre-half pairing and Robertson has been playing out on the left so it's a very different role suddenly coming in to play centre-back having said that Morrison didn't have a good game on Monday 
but I think has looked generally fairly good alongside Raggett. I mean, I think this sounds very sitting on the fence. I think you can genuinely make a decent argument for both and not be completely out of line. I would probably go Raggett and I'm going to stick with Morrison just because the more time you have with two centre-backs playing together, the better. But uh, sort of conversely, I wouldn't be outraged, angry, furious if I saw that that change had been made and Robertson came in for Morrison. I feel, though, that that's based on the idea that the, the centre-back pairing has been good. And I think it's now seven games without without a clean sheet. I, I don't think they've been good together. And I think I think there's a good argument for that reason to to pop Robinson back into the middle there, where, you know, arguably being one of our better defenders in the centre there, more comfortable on the ball. It's not like he's a left-back we're putting into centre-back. He's been playing out of position. He is a centre-back. So I'd like to see Robinson come into the middle, really, with Raggett. Mm. Yeah, again, I think you can make the argument, but we've only conceded one more goal than Plymouth who are top. So it's obviously not been a complete horror show, although granted, Monday night was very, very bad, not disagreeing in the slightest. Over the course of the season, we've conceded, what, 15 in 14 games compared to Peter Rurababas who have conceded 17. Wednesday and Ipswich have conceded 12. Plymouth conceded 14. Although my argument is rapidly falling apart here because we've played two games fewer. So, yeah in the interests of balance. Liam messaged in and he said, we'd like to see Swanson starting a right back and Ogilvy at left back. Agreed, Liam. Also, I think Mingy deserves to start next game. On point, mate. Maybe we also need to change the formation to a 4-3-3 or 3-5-2 so the midfield has more support. I think 4-3-3, we don't have enough centre midfielders. I do want to see Tunnicliffe come in, so we'll we'll leave that at that. 3-5-2, we spoke about that already. It's the wingers versus wing back. You know, where do you think we're going to have the most impact? And I still think the wingers are adding more impact in class in the team than than the wing backs. But again, I'm not against changing it if, if Cowley thinks it can work. So we'll have to see that. Um, Gregory Brown messaged in and said he agrees 100% with Liam. Probably most fans would like to see these changes. We have to stop conceding sloppy goals. Fred, it does come to that. How much of this is just individual errors compared to tactical setup? I think a lot of it is down to individual errors. Um, and the main thing that Cali just got wrong with the personnel of the back four. I mean, the formation's fine. And like you said, if um, if Kroma doesn't make that mistake in the midfield, then we don't concede that chance. If Pack doesn't scythe somebody down in the second half when he's already on the booking, they don't concede the free kick in the first place. And then, and then there's not that horrendous bit of defending for the third goal um, we gifted them those two chances you could argue about even the first goal as well if you wanted to yeah it, it, it's definitely I definitely think it's down to the jeweler errors which will hopefully iron themselves out in the next game and then make a few changes as well just to keep it a bit fresh I think and we say that every week <laughs> it's down to individual errors that will hopefully iron themselves out we say it every bloody week we have done 163 episodes of this podcast, Andy. I do. I think we've said many things several times. I think we've said individual errors 161 out of 163 episodes. Having said that, I don't think I joined till episode 40 something, but that's a that's another con- topic for another day. Pompey Kong meshes in and says, "Praying the Rafferty and Lowry are back fit. We'd love to see Mingy given a start. He's looked sharp when he's been when he's played." And looks to want to get the ball forward and run at defences. Haven't been impressed hugely by Dale. Maybe time to bring Curtis back in. 
Jacob's injury concern. Well, I don't want to put Curtis out on the right. He's just generally awful out there, in my opinion. He just doesn't. He just doesn't seem to know quite what he wants to do out on the right hand side. His, his link up play is not good. So yeah, it doesn't seem to work with him playing out right, in my opinion. Even though he's right footed, I've been pretty impressed by Dale. Generally speaking, I just think he's not getting much support recently. So he's almost. He made some really good runs actually in the Charlton game where he was breaking through, making runs in the channel and just didn't get the ball to him. Those sort of slightly earlier runs where he was making, a bit like we spoke about Josh Cromer not playing Dane Scarlett through. Owen Dale was doing that quite a lot in the first half and just not getting the service. So I'm definitely not holding that against him personally. I don't know what you think, guys. Yeah, I'd agree. I think he's impressed me over the course of the season so far and he just was not getting the service Monday night. And you could see him getting frustrated, progressing into angry, progressing into furious as the game progressed and then sort of back into frustrated for the last half an hour of the game. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it'd be very harsh to drop him. I think you're looking at other players on the team sheet first before you get to Owen Dale in terms of causes of issues in the last few games. Alpha John messaged in and says, hopefully the Cowleys have finally realised the system with our fullbacks out of position doesn't work. If Swanson and Mingy start Saturday, personally, I can see us running riot. That's a bit of confidence there, Alfie John. Like that. Why not? Running riot. We'll talk about if we agree with that in the next bit when we do our little forest green predictions. But agree, yeah. Let's get Mingy in. Let's get Swanson in. Let's see if that makes a difference. We're playing actual fullbacks in position. Dave Laura messes in and says, Cowley made the mistake that Kenny Jacket so often did. Respond to an injury by moving a member of the first team, thus weakening two out of positions in one go. Nagging suspicion that he was avoiding a tough decision at centre-back. Morrison surely made that much easier with his performance on Monday. Agreed, it was it was pretty dreadful. And that's part of the reason why I want to move Clark Robertson into the into centre-back alongside think- Sean Raggett. I think both those changes due to injury followed the same trend where Robertson and Ogilvy both had good games to start off with while playing out of position. So Cowley trusted them for a little bit and then you just saw the performances slowly decline and the back four in general slowly decline performance-wise and you just thought, can we make those decisions sooner? Um, I think he probably will in the Forest Green game. I don't see... I don't see the same back four coming out again. I think I think the form, I think the weaknesses are too hard to ignore at this point. Dave continues, as for the rest, I've tweeted before about morale. Bizarrely, poor points per game when he's in the side. He looks all right, but our best form for last season and a bit has always been when he's injured or suspended. And our worst form has coincided with him being fit. I think it's fair to say that Joe Morrell, I will not completely agree with Dave, but has not really looked that impactful in the middle of midfield. I think he's a really good player. I do really rate Joe Morrell, but the system in the middle of with Packer Morrell isn't working. Is it either or? Can we only play one of them? And if so, you got to think that when fit, Marlon Pack's going to be the player that gets the nod. I think so. When he's not Suspended, absolutely. I mean, Morel's obviously going to be missing when he goes to the World Cup, which Wales are inevitably going to win. Uh, but so we're going to have Marlon Pack as the only real, yeah, firm choice out of the two of them at that point. But he hasn't hit the ground running since his injury, has he? 
he hasn't looked the same player since sort of coming back into the team, whether it's to do with minutes under his belt or if he's still got a niggle from that injury and isn't fully fit, I don't know. But he's not looked for me the same player since coming back into the team, which physically hurts me to say at the moment. But um, yeah, I wouldn't be starting him and Pack together. And overall, I'd be starting Pack over Morel, I think. I'm just going to wipe a tear away from my eye and hand over to Freddie Webb. I, I think I agree with you. I think those midfielders are too similar. I think there's more forward drive when Lowry's in the team next to Pack, and more defensive stability when Louis Thompson's in the team next to Pack, which frees up Pack a bit more. I don't think Joe Morel's performances since coming back from his niggling injuries have warranted um, a lot of loyalty. I don't think. Uh, I don't. I, I think he's been okay in some games. Had a couple of assists here and there, but he hasn't contributed as much as I would have liked, which is a shame. Um, there's that whole argument of him saving himself for the World Cup, which Cowley refuted in the news recently, saying he's not thinking about that at all and he's slowly getting better in training every day and that type of thing. But I guess it's something to keep in mind. Um, I do think he starts against Forest Green with Jay Mingi, unless Tom Lowry's fit. If Tom Lowry's fit, you probably play Morel and Lowry, I think even though Mingi's played relatively well in his appearances. And yeah, but I, it's a shame that the pack and rail pairing doesn't work. Um, I think I heard someone in the stand compare it to Gerard and Lampard, which was a strange comparison, but hey, it's, it, it, it is a thing. They're not, it's not always the case that two good sense midfielders work together. That was funny as well, wasn't it? It's a case of both of them great players don't work next to each other. The the Lampard and Gerard. I thought that was on Twitter, but maybe it's in the stand. Who knows? All right, boys, I'm going to move us on now. Let's talk about our preview for the Forest Green game in general. Fred, take us away with this. Well, Forest Green's form in the last five games is one win, one draw, three defeats. They've got a lot of notable players missing from last season. Matty Stevens, as far as I'm aware, is still injured. He was their best striker last season. They also lost a lot of players in the transfer window, including Ebu Adams and Nicky Cadden, who I've both liked. Some notable players who play for them, Bailey Cargill at centre-half. I think he's a good centre-half, and not just because he's in the intro song. I generally think he's fairly reasonable. McNulty gets up above Cargill. No, no. Cheers, Andy. (laughs) Luke McGee in goal. He shipped a lot of them. Uh, I think looking at the... Obviously, Andy alluded to... Forest Green's 31 goals conceded, the worst in League One, and expected goals against a 24.62, which is the second worst figure in League One. There's a bit of a gap there, but due to the performances, they seem very ropey at the back. I just see it as a, a Pompey must win, even even with even with the bad performance on Monday. I think if you if you if you lose that game, then it cements the idea that Pompey are a playoff slash fringe playoff side rather than a side that's going to get automatics. Forest Green have lost two, lost too many players in the summer, haven't replaced them as well, and the performances haven't shown up. There was the one they win against Bolton, but then they but then they lost against Burton, they lost against Peterborough, lost against Exeter City with goals shipped. So it's a sort of game where you're thinking, hopefully if the service in midfield is good, I know they play three at the back, and you argue that the 4-4-2 doesn't work against that, I think it can purely down to personnel. I think if Pompey controlled midfield in this game and provide some service to our front two, they should be they should be laughing. Interesting that on, on pressing stats, Forest Green have the, have, according to Opta, 15.8 on their PPDA. 
Um, third, third least pressing team in the league. Only Morecambe and Cambridge sit deeper and don't press in the front as much as Forest Green Rovers. Andy, do you think that kind of thing will, will actually benefit Pompey that they're not going to depress us? Or do you think a bit like in the in the Charlton game, I suppose there was a little bit of a case of being hit on the counter attack and maybe we could be vulnerable to that? I think I lose count of the number of times we lose possession in our own first third. I think we are tradition like very strangely very susceptible to the type of press that we try and exhibit ourselves they seem to be very good at doing it and very poor against defending it uh, uh, defending it the Pompey side I think with Forest Green I mean I watched I watched some random vlog that appeared on my YouTube homepage that was someone at, at Forest Green vlogging their their game against Exeter City towards the end of September and the fans were full-on turning on the manager uh, they lost that game 4-0 at home and they were calling for the manager to be out and singing at him to be sacked at that game. And since then, they've lost to Burton. They've beaten Bolton, got thrashed by Peterborough. They threw away a two-goal lead against Port Vale up the Ellis Harrison and then last night won in the Football League trophy. So they haven't exactly set the world on fire since then. So you do feel like it's a game where if you get on top early doors... This is such a cliche. If you get on top early doors, the fans are going to turn, uh, which you can say about, you know, 22 out of the 24 clubs in League One, I'd imagine. But you do feel like they are susceptible to a thrashing. And that would be lovely. It would just be nice to have a little confidence booster after a crappy four games, wouldn't it? There's one yeah, player uh, who Forest Green have recently brought in, who, which is worth keeping in mind, perennial journeyman Connor Wickham who has five goals in nine games. So that's something to bear in mind. They seem to have brought in a goal scorer late doors on a free. I think it was on a free. I didn't see him picked up earlier. So yeah, that's probably their major threat now, considering um, might be a case of man marking him. But yeah, I, I'm looking at the rest of their squad. Not a lot of names jump out at me. Corey O'Keefe with four assists. But aside from that, there's not much else there, I don't think. Yeah, and just to talk about Andy was saying about us not being good against that press and turning, getting turnovers in our own half, for instance. Forest Green, um, on turnovers that they've created in the final third, five in total, and none of them have, have actually led to a goal. So they've had five shots, basically, that have come from it. That is the least out of any team in the league, and they've created no goals from their, from their forward press either. So that could be beneficial to us. It might allow us to get on the ball a bit more allow our players to get forward a bit more, allow us to dip, you know pass through the thirds, allow us to get get a little bit further forward. So I think that will help us from a stylistic point of view, especially playing away at a team where there could be a bit of pressure here. We haven't won in four games. We're going to a team which a lot of players, sorry, a lot of fans will actually feel we should be winning this game. And we'll have to see if they can bounce back really. And that's going to be quite an important sign. If this team can get a solid win against Forest Green here. We can maybe steady the ship and get it back on track. Um, if we don't, I think we're going to be asking a lot more serious questions after this weekend's game. Before I ask us for our score predictions, boys, I did reach out to the Forest Green podcast, the Heaven's Devil podcast. They couldn't make come on the show because they're now in New York, so living the dream. But I did ask them about Rich, our new uh, Richard Hughes, or Rich Hughes, as he's known as. Let's not confuse. Let's not um, 
Let's not confuse him with the prolific midfielder that we had playing for us before, back in the day. But I asked him what he thought about him. And he says, Rich was phenomenal for us. It was the most important piece to our League 2 survival, League 2 steadiness, and then our uh, promotion to League 1. He found so many big club academy failures, aka broken toys, who everyone gave up on, but then turned out to be amazing. Kane Wilson's probably the highlight. He found diamonds from non-league teams who have done outstanding. And most importantly, he found guys who fit the character and culture of the team. Our players in dressing room had an incredibly positive bond. All great humans. Um, yeah, he went on to say he did an outstanding job finding Rob Edwards last year and Ian Birchall last year. He said in his opinion, although some you know fans disagree with that at this moment in time. Uh, apart from his outstanding work in football decisions, he's a great guy, kind, honest, transparent and humble. It's the biggest loss to them this season and he's not convinced they'll stay up due to the fact he's gone. That's quite nice to hear about our new director of football. This is one of the questions I want to ask him. So you got him to send it over. So there we go. little update on our new sporting director. Right, let's get back into the score predictions, please. Annie Mitchmore, I want to know your score prediction for Saturday, please, and any goal scorers. 3-0, Pompey win, Scarlet, Dale, Mingy. Freddie Webb. I'm trying to remember my prediction because I actually gave one on the radio yesterday, but I can't. Uh, so I'm going to go 2-1 Pompey, Colby Bishop, Brace. I do remember saying that. And for Forest Green... Connor Wickham. What are you going for, Bunce? Due to the, the the sort of the stylistic points we pointed out here, and maybe having a little bit more time at the back, hopefully alleviating any defensive errors, I'm going to go for a 2 0 Pompey win. Colby Bishop and Owen Dale. All right. Andy, before we finish the podcast, I've got to say that is a fantastic top you're wearing. It's like a blue vest. Is it is it a Pompey blue vest? No, it's a t-shirt. You just rolled your sleeves up in game face, right? Exactly that, mate. But thank you for the compliment. Oh, that's that's going to put a smile on my face for bedtime. Cheers, Bunt. No worries. Freddie Webb, it's been awesome having you on the podcast. Yeah, always a pleasure, Hugh. Thanks for having me on again. And uh, yeah, nice to chat to you guys again as a trio. Very nice. And until next time. Oh, wait a so second. Andy, great having you on the podcast. Thanks, mate. I love your T-shirt too. You're looking very suave. Congrats on the new job. We're all buzzing for you. And uh, the free laptop and all that involves. Yeah, now I can actually buy a round, right? No, no Chance more would be a fine thing, you. mate. Chance would be a fine thing. And until next time, that Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!